everyone. Welcome to this episode of Claims Never Sleep. I'm super excited. This is one of our first episodes of this podcast. And today I'm joined by Lewis Pippin, who is the Chief Claims Officer at Venbook Group. And I've known Lewis for, for a while now. He's coming on to talk about not necessarily claims specific, but he has the or of kind of taking these three companies that are all part of this Venbrook group and merging them under and combining systems and culture and everything that goes with that. And he's talking about the challenges of doing that, managing it from a personnel level, as well as on a systems level, and, and just about how to you know, retain your employees and keep the culture positive and the challenges that are associated with that. So really interesting topic, and I love talking to him about it. So with that, let's bring him in. This is the Claims Never Sleep Podcast, presented by Cruiser Mitchell, with your host, Megan Henry. Good morning, Lewis. Welcome to this episode of the Claims Never Sleep. I am so happy to have you. You are one of my very first guests on this new podcast. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Very excited. Appreciate it. But I will say this is not the first time you and I have recorded a podcast. You joined me on my prior podcast and you so graciously agreed to come back and be one of my inaugural guests on this one. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming back and sitting down and having another conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And appreciate the platform and the ability to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is clients. <laughs> well, <laughs> mine too. And I, I have a whole podcast dedicated to it, so it better be one of my favorite topics. <laughs> I talk to a lot of people in claims, obviously, and that's this whole platform of this podcast, but everyone has a different story as to how and why they got into this industry and into this business. And I find those stories so fascinating. So if you don't mind indulging me in how you ended up in the world of claims, because I'm sure you didn't grow up and say, this, <laughs> this is the career path I'm choosing. <laughs> and I've decided I want to be when I grow up. I, I doubt exactly. that's the case. Right. So Megan, I do have, like, I'm sure everybody, the interesting background. And I actually began my career, got out of college, dabbled around in a few things, and I was looking to get into law enforcement. I thought about, wow, it would be very exciting. I did a six-month stint with the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics Dangerous Drugs and thought, wow, that would be an interesting and exciting job opportunity. As fate would have it, that aspect did not work out. But what did work out is landing a job as a fraud investigator for the state insurance funds, specifically in workers' comp. And I remember thinking, holy cow, insurance is just a scheme that is used by people to figure out ways to make money. And the only claims that I myself personally was involved with at the time were the proverbial bottom of the barrel. It seemed like every single person that I spoke to was trying to game the system. And I had a ex Oklahoma City police detective that was in homicide and internal affairs and had conducted literally thousands of investigations. So he taught me techniques on assessing character. And after about 24 months of dealing with what felt like people trying to get over on me, I was fortunate enough to have met one of the leaders of the claims unit at the state insurance fund, Tom McCray, wonderful gentleman who suggested, Lou, you need to come and work for me. And I did. And then within a year, I found a, a product sector opportunity in the claims sector and I left the fund. But I will say it was very unique, Megan, when today I may introduce myself as Lewis Pippen, Lou Pippen with Finbrook Claims and Chief Claims Officer. Okay, fine. But 30 years ago when I first started and I had a phone call and I would say Lewis Pippen, fraud investor, state insurance fund. And it was always interesting to have the other end of the phone go completely silent. <laughs> yes. You're like, why am and I getting called? What did I do wrong? <laughs> right. And they were like, Mr. Pippen, do I need a lawyer? Uh, no, not yet, but I'll certainly <laughs> let you know. 
So it's been a fascinating career. One of my first conferences that I went to, they had a judge from the Oklahoma Workers' Compensation Commission or court, and they did a presentation and the judge got up and asked the entire audience, kind of like you did, Megan, how many folks here, when they were a little boy or girl, wanted to be an adjuster? Please <laughs> raise your hand. And, and surprisingly, nobody's hand went up. Yeah. But her next comment, though, was very relevant and on point. You know what, guys? I didn't grow up wanting to be a comp court judge, but that's where we are. And let's do it the best we can, whatever we're doing in life. And so kind of with that attitude and commitment, here's where we are. And I will say, finally, that throughout my career, I was at a point in a prior employer. I ran the workers' comp claims division, which had an excess workers' comp piece to it. In excess workers' comp, the average SIR, generally speaking, and specifically at this company, was north of a million dollars. So the point is, the folks that I worked with, the claimants that I saw were severely injured workers. So I had the occasion to go to Kansas City and meet a claimant that had been involved in a motor vehicle collision in which she lost both arms and both legs. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most powerful meetings that I've ever had. And, And in insurance, we find out, Megan, that while it sounds good, insurance does not cover everything. And what I mean by that is, so this lady, she was a curriculum advisor for a very large school district. And she was going between buildings, driving between buildings. And somebody inadvertently got on the highway going the wrong way, hit her head on. And she was in her early to mid fifties, which is my age now. And it changed her life, obviously. And so I made a recommendation to the excess carrier and we set up the meeting and things like home modifications, mm-hmm. car modifications, and quite frankly, in Kansas, the statute limited the total amount of indemnity that you would be entitled to. So the excess carrier, myself, this lady, her husband, part of her family, she was unrepresented. So it was truly just a meeting of the minds. And we left that meeting with an agreement to provide her and her family some financial resources where she could either modify her existing home, she could go out and sell her home and buy a new one and more. She had a split level, maybe buy a ranch. We gave her monies to modify her car and or just sell it and buy a new vehicle that would support her and her family. And it really made it the purpose of insurance in clear focus. Yeah. And that this was no longer another sheet of paper that rolled across my desk. This was another human that was severely impacted by a event that needed, she and her family needed help in the most dire way. So the point is, I went from early in my career to thinking, oh my God, insurance is a scam. It's just for a bunch of people that can manipulate the system to, okay, I get it. And it is very important. So that's been uh, how I got involved and where I am today. Well, a a true like defining moment in your career. However, you still have to have that skeptical side too. (laughs) You know, you can't not... While it has this profound purpose, you still have to have in the back of your mind that it's not always, people don't always use it for the correct purpose as well. So you still have to keep that skepticism, I think. 1000%. And Megan, there is also that fine line between outright lying and exaggeration. 
Yes. So how bad are you really hurt? And I remember again, and early on in my career, the old joke at, at the comp court, the individual that's hurt is testifying and the counsel for the insurance carrier says, uh, well, sir, how bad is your shoulder hurt? How, how high can you raise your hand? And he says, oh God, I, I can only raise it this high and it, it hurts. How high could you raise it before the accident? This high? <laughs> so, right. I mean, there, there is definitely a sense of you got to conduct investigations. You got to assess, are they being completely truthful? Are they exaggerating for effect on certain areas? And whether it's property, whether it's casualty, whether it's a worker's comp claim, at the end of the day, the adjuster has got to conduct thorough investigations. Now, the good news is from when I started in 95, the advancements of things like this, yeah. social media, doing checks, access to public records has become more and more available and prevalent. And quite frankly, it is a fantastic tool that can help you really assess if somebody's being completely honest. And so we use tools like that all the time. But one thing I've noticed, at least with social media over the last, I would say like 10 years, is that I feel like it used to be more useful than it is now because I feel like claimants and plaintiffs have gotten a little smarter about what <laughs> they put on there. I remember like, you know, 10 plus years ago, like you would really find juicy stuff. Now I think everyone's wised up a little bit or there are people have wised up or their attorneys have wised up. At least I haven't been as lucky to find any of those nuggets that I remember finding when things were a little newer and shinier. Have you noticed that as well, that there's, there's less gotcha moments, I think, on social media now, at least for me? Right. Well, it is a constant moving of the needle. I would agree with you, Megan. So as we evolve, as, as our society, as our culture transforms, and it's so different, quite frankly, from right, 1995, but the tools will also continue to get better. And insurance, of course, is predicated on good faith. I've got to accept what you're telling me is honest and forthright. That's what I'm going off of. But then the concept of trust, but verify. So that's what we're there to do. And quite frankly, when we use terms like gotcha, I did that back to another conference with another judge in the comp court. And he made a comment that really sat funny with me, especially being on the defense side. He said, you know, guys, I've seen 2,000 video pieces of evidence, and I would bet two or three has had any material impact on the outcome of a case. Mm -hmm. So the point is, I would suggest to you that this kind of evidence rarely has any impact. So basically, you're throwing money away. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't let it go. So I raised my hand and I said, your honor. I appreciate what you said, and, and granted, being on the defense side, I have engaged various vendors over the course of my career, and I would say that it's a small percentage of video evidence that I have received that's had a material impact. Now, what's frustrating is I've heard another colleague within the court tell me they are tired of the WISH defense. I wish we could get, I wish we could, but they, they rarely provide evidence. So in one hand, I've got a, your honor telling me you're wasting your time gathering this evidence. And the other judge telling me you need to be submitting more and more evidence. It's a constant struggle from an adjusting standpoint to, like you said, identify vendors and different ways, different using different tools to attack the credibility of a witness. Yeah. And to mitigate that exposure. 
But rest assured, in the claims environment, we will continue to conduct thorough investigations, utilize tools as best we can, and basically it's to trust and verify what is being submitted as the truth. It's frustrating, Megan, for sure. And I wish I could tell you, boy, there's a new website, there's a new tool that I found that really hones in and, and has generated exceptional results in, in providing what is actually going on. But I haven't found that yet. <laughs> Some of it's, I think, too, it's luck to get that information, but also you have to go into it like kind of having an idea of like there's something to be looking for and you have to have an idea like are the injuries that are being claimed are they ones that is it worth going down the road to try to find something on social media like there's certain injuries that will transpire outwardly and others that won't so you have to be picky in that that sense and you also have to be smart about it too for instance like if you have a matter that like say there's a suspicion of a, a marital affair that is implicated in, in the case, whether, you know, maybe there's something going on that the, that the plaintiff is claiming that could have been occurred through a marital affair and maybe not contracted at a business. Is social media going to be helpful in finding that out? Probably not, <laughs> because right. it's probably not going to be out there. But maybe right. that's a situation that you want an investigator on the ground and maybe then you could uncover something but then you also have to think about well what are the implications when you find this out <laughs> yeah. I, unfortunately that is that is exactly right and you, you you find out that in a case like that now from my standpoint hashtag character matters in a situation like that my immediate response if we identify that information some people don't care about it, but to me, if somebody's willing to do that and do that with their spouse, my guess is it's not real hard for them to lie about or exaggerate about the benefits they're entitled to, their injury, their anything else. If they would lie to their spouse and do things like that, then it immediately gets me to question the validity of everything they're telling me. And so, yeah, just one of those that, okay, we're on to something. This may not have a direct impact on the case at hand on those benefits, but I can guarantee you, if you start digging around, this is a file that you need to absolutely pay attention to everything being submitted by this individual. Yeah. And don't be surprised if you uncover some information that may seem to be uh, contradictory to what they're saying. Yeah, it, maybe look at it a little even more skeptically. <laughs> right. So, as usual, got a little sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> so, we talked about how you got into claims, but let's talk about what you're doing now, how you got to Venbrook, and what you, your role is there and what Venbrook does. And then we can dive a little bit deeper in, into things. So, how did your path lead you to Venbrook and, and your current role? As I mentioned, I, I started my career in workers' compensation. And then at my former company, it was a, it was a small NGA that grew into fairly sizable NGA that had focused on workers' comp, primary and excess, but expanded that into occupational accident, into some personal accident. Basically, any kind of event that occurred while you were on the job, they either wrote the policies, conducted loss, the risk control, marketing, and then claims. So I learned a lot about program business. I learned a lot about what made a good program tick. I was engaged in the medical management aspect. It was just a fantastic opportunity to teach me about program business. And from there, I left and went to a very large, complex loss adjustment firm. And I was tapped to assist in the build out of the TPA operations for this firm in, in the U.S. And I learned that... <laughs> My experiences from the prior NGA suited me well, 
helped build out the reporting structures at this adjusting firm. And I transitioned from only workers' comp or occupational accidents to property and casualty. So that kind of filled in basically a wide swath of the insurance industry. Now, I mean, whether it's commercial, residential property, whether it's any kind of L, CGL, AL, PL, product liability, EL, employer's liability, I've had exposure Mm -hmm. to a wide variety of lines of business, and I've focused on programs dealing with most of the the hybrid fronting carriers, some larger traditional carriers and their program space, have dealt with self-insureds, have dealt with captives. It's exposed me to various lines of business, to various markets that are out there to support those lines of business, and it's nationwide. So a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to join Benbrook and head up. At Benbrook, we have three claims operations. We have one source, which is our program focus. We have Carl Warren, that is our public entity focus. And then we have DMA that does the field operations. One of my initiatives, Megan, in 2024, is to consolidate all three operations into a Venbro claims solution. Yes. So that's going to take some time. And um, <laughs> that's where I am today. We, uh, we're somewhere north of 300, probably closer to three and a quarter employees that comprise all three operations. It's a really exciting time and it's, a, it's an initiative I look forward to. And this is something that, Spoiler to to those who hadn't listened, we had we had talked about previously though the challenges that are associated with trying to pull these things together from not only a system standpoint but also like a, a corporate structure, but also just corporate feel because with each entity has a little bit of a different corporate feeling associated with the two. And you you were talking about how the struggles of culture. Culture. That's the word I'm looking for. Culture. I'm like having a brain fart here. (laughs) So, you know, how how do you go about merging the the corporate culture of these three distinct entities? (laughs) Well, first and foremost, to me, you've got to have dynamic, trusted business leaders. You've got it. It starts with leadership. You got to have buy-in. You've got to identify certain elements within a culture that needs to be changed or modified. You need to present it, you need to get the buy-in from the leader, and then they need to pass that down to their team. And you've got to explain the value of consolidation. And you've got to identify those areas, such as operations, such as management, such as business development. Where can we benefit from consolidating? and incorporating good ideas for the benefit of the company as a whole, for the benefit of Vember. And it's not a one size fits all, right? There's the licensing issue that needs to happen and that can be accomplished, generally speaking, by simply adding a DBA onto existing licenses, Mm -hmm. except in those states that don't allow that. So we'll have to come up with a different solution there. But then the personnel within those entities, they've got to understand and accept, and again, through the business leadership, the explanation of the benefits they're going to see from this. And then you've got to talk about how you're going to sell to new clients, but how you're going to explain to existing clients the value add to this. There are a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And at least in my experience, Megan, rarely ever do things work well when I force them. <laughs> so the proverbial square peg and round holes, and I'm, you well, know, oh God, I mean, I'm just going to pound it in and make it happen. Sounds good. So the point is, 
when you identify a common cause or a specific issue, you may have to set that aside, reassess how that's going to impact your plan going forward. And if necessary, you're going to have to stop and identify another solution so that you get the plan back on schedule. It's a methodical process. And I think for those that have any idea that you just come in and, and again, sheer will, you force all of these together. The impact internally and the development of culture, oh, great. Well, now we have a new autocrat. Wow, do I really want to stay here and follow that? You could potentially impact existing relationships. Finally, how does that look on a go-forward basis? So the point is, you, you can't rush this. You, you, you need to take it in a methodical way and starting with leadership, identification of the puzzle and the pieces, and then start moving them forward as best you can simultaneously. And also like in the mix of this too, I mean, you have employees that are probably inherently uncomfortable because with change comes uncomfort. And also there's probably some underlying worry, like, am I going to be redundant? What does my job security look like? Is there someone at one of these other entities that we're merging, like that we're all coming together that does the same job as me? Do I still have a role? Like you have that uncertainty with people that you want to also assure that like, no, like it's all, it'll be good in the end, but it might be uncomfortable for a little bit while we all kind of come together and march forward. But it's just natural to have those sorts of feelings when there's a, a big change. Right. No doubt about it. Megan, part of my job and part of any leader's job is to lead, right? So it is not lost on me that decisions that are made may have a material impact on others. Whether it's a change in a job duty, whether it is a movement from the organizational chart from one position to another, whether it is a decision about bonuses, whether it is a decision about promotions or compensation, absolutely. All of these things have a material impact. At the end of the day, it is my responsibility to identify a plan and a structure and a way to benefit all stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So it is natural. Over my career, I have been bought and sold uh, by companies numerous times. Fortunately for me, I've made my choices as to where to go. And, and unfortunately, there have been occasions during my career that we've had to consolidate or make people redundant. Mm -hmm. It's awful. Yeah. That part of it is never good. But what I, as a leader, I tell myself over and over again, for the betterment of the whole, if you are not paying attention, if you are not trying to be as efficient every day. That's, again, part of my job. We set up the org, we set up the plan, and then we have, somebody's got to manage that. You <laughs> see the puts and takes on a daily basis, monthly basis, quarterly, annual. Our job as leaders to assess, okay, well, we had a great idea. We had a wonderful theory, but practically speaking, it's not working. Or, God forbid, it's working better than anticipated. So now I've got to change my infrastructure to support that. Or alternatively, I've got to make a tough decision that that plan isn't working. And as a consequence, there could be some folks that it adversely impacts. But again, if you are a leader, whether it's an in insurance or any other business, that's part of your responsibility. That's part of your job. So while I don't specifically have claims attached to me, I am involved in claims and claim discussions, but my job, my role is now about more of assessing our personnel, our staffing, all of our resources that we have and how can we use them better 
to maximize efficiencies. And that's, that's part of the role. And I'm sure the part as well is identifying like people who might be in a certain role, but could be suited for another role. So to rule out the redundancies. So mm -hmm. maybe Sarah over here might be in this one department, but she has some other skill set that can translate over to this other area. And I think having the right managers and other leaders also to identify those and spread the word up to you to be like, oh, you know, you know, Sarah's really good at this. So she, we could probably transition her over here. So she's not a redundant individual and there's still a place for her. And just identifying people's additional strengths because not, not all the strengths are, are visible in each role. You might find more when you put them in something else. And you're like, oh, they're really great mm -hmm. at this. or they really excel at this? And this could be a, a good place for them to rule out the redundancies. Excellent point. And you're absolutely right. And it's funny you bring up Sarah. I have a team member named Sarah. And <laughs> Sarah, know, we're not talking about you. <laughs> she, she started it. So anyways, but kidding aside, right? Identifying how to maximize in a business term. We got to maximize efficiencies. We got to find synergies. We've got a, any buzzword, but the reality, the practical aspect of this is yes, identifying individuals and what they can do well. Yeah, during my career, sometimes the best adjuster doesn't make the best manager. So we also, this linear concept, you start out as a lowly old mailroom person, and then you just work yourself all the way up to CEO of AIG. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. As an alternative, though, during careers, you know, I started as a fraud investigator, but then got into claims. And quite frankly, I sit here and think, gosh, I should have gone into underwriting. It's very fascinating. And who knows, Megan, when I grow up, <laughs> Maybe I'll go back and, and do some underwriting. The reality is, yeah, you have to assess. And especially when you're talking about transformation of a organization or multiple entities, right? What else can you do? What else, what other benefits do you have and skill sets that can be applicable over here that would help the company as a whole, would help all stakeholders? It's definitely a consideration and a discussion point with leadership about if somebody may be impacted, could we use them or utilize them in another capacity? Yeah, it, it's something that comes up even in, in the law firm space. So too, and I talked to a lot of people about this, that obviously not all lawyers are created equal, but like in the sense that there's some people that are good to come in, they want to put their head down, do the research, work on their files and go home. And then there's other people who are, are great marketers or they're great in front of people. And then there's other people who are better leaders. And like, it's not everyone can't make everyone a marketer and you have to kind of pull on everyone's strengths. And that's kind of what helps the bus move forward though, too. You know, you don't want a law firm that you only have the people who go in and put their head down because there's not going to be any work to be had. If all you have is people who are going to put their head down, you need, you need other people who are going to bring the, bring the work in through the front door, you know? It's identifying strengths and utilizing people according to their strengths too, and their interests though too. You might have like people who aren't interested in marketing, whatever it may be. You just, you have to kind of talk to your people though too and yes. explore it a little bit. Yes. And, and right. It's um, career paths. During my career, I've had, I've had individuals hired on ostensibly to be the adjuster to to learn adjusting they get in and then they recognize wait a second i kind of like the operational aspect i like dealing with numbers i would prefer to kind of handle the back office stuff some folks enjoy that that's fantastic others go into operations or support and then ultimately move into adjusting. They realize, wait a second, I can do this. So mm -hmm. yeah, maximizing individuals' desires and talents is key. And so Megan, I, I, I'm a fairly optimistic guy. 
I'm really that my my time as the fraud investigator cured me of negativity and, <laughs> and dealing with unfortunate issues. Are there unfortunate issues that I have to deal with? Yes, but I focus on the positives and how we can maximize. And so the other thing is, Megan, there's a when I came over to Benbrook, there were seven other individuals that ended up joining me and kind of followed me over. I got to say that you can learn a lot about who you are and what you want to do when you, when you feel part of a team. One of the things that you talked about culture, for me, everybody's a little different. Some people are individualists and they, they care about the individual and that's perfectly fine. But I've realized that being part of a team is crucial. And to the extent that I'm not interested in individually doing something else, you know, you find a team that can benefit and then you take that idea and concept and expand that throughout the company. I'm very hopeful that that will resonate well within Benbrook and Benbrook Claim Services. And also, I think it speaks volumes to those who came with you. Those are your people. Not that you can't get more people, but like the ones that are, are loyal and they're like, we're coming with you. And it, it's a very Jerry Maguire kind of moment, but like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're your people. They're the ones that I think there's just a different trust involved when you have folks like that who kind of you move along in your career with. Right. And it's a uh, it's not lost on me that, right, these are individuals. So back to the comment about if you consolidate if you make people redundant all of these choices all of these decisions are not taken lightly and and shouldn't be but they are important they do have to be made and once they are made you make the best of it and everybody regardless if I, i've left companies and there's always opportunities out there for, for folks. So I've realized I've had folks that we've had to reduce and force and they've wound up at other places and they shined Mm -hmm. and, and really their career took off in a different path. Yeah. There are opportunities and it's, it's my job is to identify within Venbrook what's best for the company as a whole what's best for the individual and the expectation that they align as well as possible Yeah, to do that maximized thing. And I think with that though, it's also the importance though too is the middle management as well, who can really serve as a conduit of information that really help you do your role and just help build this out. Right. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Megan. But one thing hangs on me a little bit though. Do you miss the claims because now you're, you're kind of further removed about it. Like what, do you miss it? Would you want to go back there? Are you happy? You're like, no, I'm up good where I am. I like, I like this, this space better. <laughs> so it's, it's different. Yeah. There are times when I felt like I did a good job as a claims adjuster and, you know, good at conducting investigations and getting information and writing reports. And it's just, Right now, I'm at a time in my life where these are the roles and responsibilities that I have. Mm-hmm. So again, the little joke about when I grow up, you just never know. Who knows, Megan? At, <laughs> at some point, uh, I may turn this over to the next generation, to the next person. They can take my spot and maybe I just hang my own shingle with a few friends and just say, send me your claims. But, uh, you know, kidding aside, I'm still close enough. I still deal with various individuals talking about large exposures and claims and, and I'm still learning. So the thing that I, I really enjoy is truly learning about whether it's a line of business, about a different angle. People surprise me all the time. Sometimes we get so fixated, myopical in our approach 
And then Megan or someone else comes in and says, hey, Luke, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever tried? Have you ever done this? Have you ever... Wow. No. Is that applicable? And well, yeah. So as long as continue to learn in the current role and responsibilities as it relates specifically to claims, again, I learned coverage details and how policy limits can be applicable in, in certain situations reinsurance structures. It's, uh, it's, it's still very fascinating, Megan. I still have a ways to go. Well, and you also have to kind of know, or at least touch on a little bit of all of it to be able to do your, your job proficiently and, and well, because you have to have an understanding to be able to, to, to really figure out how things are all going to join together and how the systems are going to work and what systems work best. That is, yes. And I've learned that just a good adjuster does not make a successful program. So it's, you've got to have the support team, all of operations, the client services, the management, you've got to have the resources, the, the, the software, You've got to be able to give that adjuster access to various tools that they can use at their disposal. Quite frankly, you've got to figure out a way to incentivize people, sadly, anymore. And you hear all these, well, Generation X is ungrateful and they, whatever. At the end of the day, regardless of the generation, I would suggest to you that incentives usually work pretty well to help motivate folks. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, designing a structure that can incentivize people to do more work, to do it better, to do it more efficiently, and then they monetarily benefit from that. That's really what I want to help change that culture. And so the days of yore where you go to work at a company at 22 years old and you retire from said company at 65 with a pension for the rest of your life, that's a fairy tale that was gone years ago. Mm -hmm. So today, everything is real time. Everything is what can you do for me now? Yeah. So, well, I can't do everything for you now, but hopefully I can build an environment that if you can show and demonstrate and execute on our plan and our mission, then you can benefit well individually from a compensation standpoint. And then on a little bit more of a team basis, you can hopefully fit in and feel like you're really part of a team that's doing something and going somewhere. I think those old tried and true, let's incentivize, let's create an environment, let's create a culture that flourishes with incentives and teamwork. That's still as relevant today as it was 50 years ago. But what incentives are you seeing that are looking to be ones that people want because I, I was just reading recently it's like it's not the happy hours it's not the social thing so what incentives are you seeing that it's like the ones viewed as real perks or real things that keep people motivated well Besides, like, money obviously you're right, right, right. <laughs> incentives such as input such as having material input not just where we're going to have the christmas party mm -hmm. but if we did it this way, if we use this tool, how could that impact? And then they see that management is engaged, they are listening, and then there may be opportunities for individuals to move out of one area into somewhere else, whether it's management, whether it's marketing, whether it's identifying the best spots for people. And so, it is. It's, it's listening. It's having a management team that is engaged and willing to listen yeah. and taking action where appropriate to move folks around and, and further really good ideas. I think people really do want to be engaged. They want to be identified as doing a good job. 
And so the team that followed me, they certainly benefited financially, but as importantly, listening. Megan, I'm sure like you and a lot of folks in the audience, you got to be very careful to, to not impose one's personal self-righteousness into the mix. Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants to be chief claims officer. <laughs> not everybody wants to lead the ship, but they do, generally speaking, they want to be heard. Yes. And they want to be, hey, I've got a thought. I've got an idea. I'll listen to it. I can't agree with everybody. And I may explain that, well, right, but we're going to stay the course and keep doing this. And for anybody that's listened to me that I disagreed with, guys, again, I apologize, but I made a decision. So that's part of my responsibility. But I do think that people want to be heard. And nowadays on social media, my God, uh, <laughs> on any platform, people are screaming to be heard in the business sense it's still important. So from a non-compensation standpoint, we try to listen, whether it's communicated directly to me or somebody that reports into me and then ultimately to me, if it makes sense and we can figure out a way to make it actionable, absolutely. That's a, a big part of incentive plans. You summed this all up very well for me with that though, because I think that's like the way you make people feel comfortable though too with this bigger change of things coming together and that uncertainty as listening and having them feel like they're they're heard and that their concerns, they might have concerns or their opinions or how they feel that the corporate culture should be is in itself so important and helps retain talent <laughs> and keeps people there and keeps the, the, the corporate culture where you want it to go. Because if you have a bunch of people who feel like they're not being heard, what's going to happen to the corporate culture? It's going to tank because they're like, well, Lewis doesn't care what I have to say. So, right. <laughs> and then they talk to other people and they talk to other people. And then, you know, that, that listening and being heard, I think is, it's almost like the web that gels everything together. Right. And it is important. Quite frankly, it is a competitive marketplace mm -hmm. and we're certainly not the only claims operation uh, within the U.S., no. there are opportunities for other folks. Why do they choose to stay and commit to the Venbrook way? And we're going to be about trying to identify ways, both compensation and others, to ensure that folks are heard and they feel part of this this team culture. Yeah. I love that. And I think with, with that mentality, you're going to have no problem steering this ship in the right direction this year. <laughs> and I, I, I think we're going to have to revisit this like the beginning of 2025. I'd be like, so how, how's it going? Did, did, you, uh, <laughs> did, you, did you get where you needed to be? <laughs> I love it. I'm all in. <laughs> well, before we close up, I, I want to ask you this now that we've, we've talked so much about where you've been and where you've come, if you could give your younger self some advice, knowing what you know today, what would it be? This is more about the journey than the destination. Mm -hmm. So again, back to that little comment, everybody growing up, we all, it, it's linear. You're young and you just grow and then you, that's not for everybody. Appreciate, learn and realize that regardless of whatever position you wind up, learn from people, listen to people, identify relationships that are important. I mean, the fact of the matter is I am where I am, but I'm, I'm there because of a, a group of folks that I have benefited from and they've benefited from me over a long period of time. And, and I have met so many wonderful people in this industry, insurance, lawyers, various vendors that are really fantastic resources. So yeah. sometimes we get so consumed with, well, I'm here today and by God, I, I've got a five-year plan and I better be at X and I better be making Y. 
And I better have gotten an opportunity to move to New York or LA or Chicago. I also, what I have learned over the course of time is that stay the course, pay attention, enjoy the moment, take advantage of opportunities where they exist, but don't ever compromise that little thing about character. Mm-hmm. So I will, I will leave it with character absolutely matters and stay true to yourself. Don't compromise. As I said, I'm a positive guy. I try to stay away from the negative. But I have seen over the 30 years numerous headlines. And there are definitely scallywags in, in this profession. And my boss, former boss, mentor, like a father figure told me long ago, he said, Lou, this is a relationship business. Mm-hmm. And that cuts both ways. You do a good job and you build trust and you build loyalty. If you go the opposite way, I promise you, whether you're in little old Oklahoma, that will spread like wildfire throughout the industry. So maintain your reputation, maintain your relationships in a good and positive way. Hopefully, Megan, my younger self, hopefully I'm still young and I'm still telling myself these things. And so in 25 to 30 years, I will still hold these comments true and and have proceeded down this path. But uh, really do appreciate all the time. Well, I think that's great advice for your younger self and your current self and your future self. So so you should record that little snippet and just play it for yourself at night and listen to it. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Louis, I can't thank you enough for for joining me on one of these inaugural episodes of Claims Never Sleep. So thank you again for for coming back on and, and just sharing your your struggles and everything that's going on with Van Brook and the exciting things that are coming. Of course, this is a new podcast. So for the listeners out there, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Claims Never Sleep. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and also probably any of your favorite streaming services. Since it's a new podcast, it's very important to you know like and subscribe to it so you can get updates and we can expand our reach. But again, Lewis, thanks so much for for taking the time to joining me. I, I you know I always appreciate all my guests taking time out of their day to sit and chat and and share with me for an hour or so. So thank you again. (laughs) Absolutely. Megan, thank you. Thank you. This is the Claims Never Sleep Podcast. Presented by Cruiser Mitchell. With your host, Megan Henry.